So, uh, <laughs> so today we're going to start a new series, uh, which is going to take us up to Christmas Day, which is handy because it's called Who Needs Christmas? And uh, I particularly love a Christmas time, and I like all the kind of celebrations, the trees, and the decorations. I don't like much in my house. I like to walk past the street and see everybody else's houses as you walk along and see all the particularly nice. But it's a great time of year, isn't it? It's an opportunity for us to think again about a familiar story. And we have things like the angels, and Mary and Joseph, and the shepherds, and the wise men, and of course we have the dragon. But that's not really part of the story, is it? That's just a particular ad on the TV at the moment. It's got nothing to do with the Christmas story, but there we go. It's interesting to see how these things get adapted around the story, because the story is really quite remarkable, isn't it? It's quite interesting when you think about how it's all come together and what we talk about, about angels. I don't know about you. Anybody seen angels lately? Anybody seen shepherds? Dangerous question. Anybody seen wise men? (laughs) Actually, I forgot a notice. On Friday the 13th, if you're a male here in this fellowship, they're doing a curry night out at the Blue Cobra. So if you'd like to go along, I meant to give that notice earlier, let Mark know so he can make the reservation. But all men are invited to go along. So, and there's plenty of wise men here, aren't there? Is anybody out there today? Are my jokes not as good as Sam's? (laughs) But anyway, it is a remarkable story, isn't it? It's full of miracles and lots of things happen. And people find it really difficult to believe that it is actually true. People struggle with the things that had happened about 2,000 years ago. And they think, how does this relate to my life today? Well, what I want to do today is take us through, really, quite a bit of a history lesson, so I hope you're comfortable, and uh, we're not having dinner until I've finished, and uh, I just want to kind of look at, really, this is a remarkable story, but this is not a story that began with the birth of Jesus. And interestingly, as you read the first bit of the New Testament, the bit about uh, Jesus coming and how the Christian faith began, four people documented Jesus's life. And interestingly, only two of them, Matthew and Luke, actually talked about Jesus's birth. The other two didn't. Only two did. So as you start to read through these stories, you kind of wonder, well, why did some people talk about it and other people didn't? And that doesn't help us, does it, in terms of helping to explain why this remarkable story is actually true. But the thing is, How we can start to look at this story and look backwards is actually through the death of Jesus, not through his birth. Jesus predicted his death and Jesus predicted his resurrection. And the Christian faith is based on that, on Jesus' resurrection. The Christian faith isn't based upon Jesus' birth. And it's actually only when we start to understand the resurrection of Jesus and what that means for all people that we can look back and understand the significance of his birth. So the Christian story doesn't start with a couple who were wondering how they became pregnant. 
The Christian story and the story of God and his people starts with a couple who wondered if they would ever have a baby. Could they ever be pregnant? It doesn't start with, where is this baby going to be born? It starts with, are we ever going to have a baby? So in some way, God's story is all about babies. Maybe not Penelope, but it is all about babies. The story of God is all about people, and all people are involved in God's story. So it starts with this couple who are wondering, are they ever going to have a baby? And God goes to this man called Abram. We know him as Abraham because his name got changed. So for the rest of this morning, I'm going to call him Abraham because I won't remember to call him Abram. God says to him, I've got a promise for you. And it's all documented in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. And if you're struggling to still get to grips with what the Bible is and who it's for, let's just unpack that a little bit because Genesis started off as a historic Jewish document. We think it was written about uh, four to 5,000 years ago, starting to document the things that God had started to do through people. And they copied it meticulously. They wanted to know that every single bit of detail didn't get changed. And so they would, because obviously they didn't have printing presses then, they would copy them out and let other people have a copy of it. They would copy that and send it out. And so this record got kept. And eventually it forms part of the Jewish scriptures. And they're called holy because they're the story of God. And then as Christians, with our writings about the early church, We collected up the Jewish scripture, the early church writings, and we made it the Bible. So when we talk about the Bible, we're talking about historic documents that record God and his time with his people. And within Genesis, there is this promise to Abraham. And God says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the peoples of the earth shall be blessed. To understand God, we need to start here. We need to understand how God started in a relationship with a man called Abraham and a woman called Sarah, who was his wife. And at this time, they are about 70 years old, we believe. So let's unpack that a little bit. What he says, he says, go, Abraham, go to a place I'm going to show you. Why was that significant? Because being around your family... Being around your tribe and your clan was what gave you identity and it's what gave you security and safety. You didn't go off and be by yourself. You were with the people that you knew, the people who would all look after you and be family together. So it's kind of a bit weird to say, I'm going to make you a great nation. Abraham's probably thinking, well, how's that going to happen then? Because I'm with my people and you're telling me to go. And Abraham does. And he says, and I'm going to make your name great. How can his name be great when he's going to be going to a whole load of places where people don't even know who he is? 
The people who know him are his family and his tribe. But God says, go, go. And all the things that you do, I'm going to bless you and bless those that help you. And you're going to be a blessing. And he says, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So there's a generational hint here to Abraham that there's going to be people that are going to come after him and he's going to be part of a founding a great nation. So bearing in mind, Abraham and Sarah are in their 70s and they've not had any children. Abraham is probably thinking, well, actually, I probably just would like a son to have a family, let alone a great nation. He's probably thinking, well, I just can't quite see how this all comes together. But he does, and he listens, and he's obedient, and he goes. I just want to share a little bit more about the family. I told you it's a little bit of a history lesson today. So we understand a bit about how this great nation happens. So Abraham's at the top, and uh, here we go. Abraham's there at the top, and through Sarah, we haven't got time to go into the rest of it all today, but through Sarah, he does, in fact, have Isaac. God's promise to him comes true, and they have a child called Isaac. And then Isaac, um, through Rebekah, has a son called Jacob. And Jacob, uh, Esau, um, was the one who was meant to, he was the firstborn, so he was the one who was meant to go through and have the descendants go from him, but it ends up being Jacob. And the reason I say that is because with Jacob and, and Esau and all the fighting that went on within their families, all the not looking after each other and respecting one another, anybody have those issues in their family? And then Abraham and Sarah talk about wise men and men looking after their families. On their journey, Abraham gets so scared that Pharaoh is going to kill him because he, he might want Sarah for himself. So Abraham says to Sarah, who is his wife? Pretend to be my sister. And she goes off and sleeps with the Pharaoh so that Abraham doesn't get killed. So if you're worried about your family Christmas and all the dysfunctions that's going to happen and all the different things that might be going on. You are in good company. This has been going on for thousands of years, so don't worry, but don't believe all those pretty, pithy adverts on the telly of happy families sitting around big tellies with big fires and all the rest of it. I believe myself that that's a myth. Anyway, back to the story. Jacob. Jacob then, through Rachel, has Joseph. Again, more family dysfunction. Joseph's brothers hate him, and uh, they were going to kill him because they hated him that much. Anybody got that in their families? And, uh, and so they decided they're not actually going to profit if Joseph dies. So they sell him to be a slave, and he goes off to Egypt, and they take the money from them. And later on, again, there's another whole big story behind that, where the family ends up going to Joseph, who just so happens to be prime minister at that time of Egypt, and therein, with all of Jacob's children, start living in Egypt, and we see the birth of a great nation. They have children for hundreds and hundreds of years, God's people, the Hebrews, the Jewish people, all start living uh, in Egypt, and this nation starts to grow. But it's a nation of slaves, it's not 
a nation, a great nation that are going to be blessing the, the rest of the world. And through this time, the Jewish people would have been repeating from one generation to the next to families when they got together, they would talk about Father Abraham, they would talk about the promise that God made to him and how he'd left his family to be obedient. And here they are in Egypt as slaves. They're probably not feeling particularly blessed at this time. They're probably thinking that God's promises are empty. What's happened to them? Is this what he meant? This isn't very great. And again, this is why I think this story is so important for all of us because if you've ever felt that life isn't what you thought it would be, promises that you've either had from other people or from God are just not happening, hold on in there. It's a passing phrase. It doesn't last forever. And some of you might know the story where Moses comes and rescues them and there's all of the 10 plagues that happen in Egypt. And probably Egypt isn't feeling very blessed by the Israelites at this particular time. Children have died, the rivers are full of blood and all of those things. They're probably thinking, I can't wait to get rid of these Israelite and God's people and what was going on. And then they go to Canaan and they land again. There's another whole story there, isn't it? 40 years in the desert of not listening to God. And they're in the promised land. And there's more fighting as they capture the land with Joshua and Jericho and all those great stories. And probably the people of Canaan aren't feeling very blessed by God's people. And we're stuck, aren't we, with this story of immense violence in the Old Testament. Anybody struggle with that? Anybody struggle with just how violent the history of God and his people is and how they've took over nations and killed people and all of that? But the thing is, the thing is, we are living in different times. The reason why the promise to Abraham was so bizarre and so amazing is because people didn't bless each other then. People didn't go around helping each other then. You might help your family, but with another tribe and another clan and a different nation, you were at war with them. It always was war going on, babies being sacrificed, people being killed, violence was everywhere. It was part of the story, and it's part of God's story as he's ushering in a new story, a, a new part of what he wants to do with the people of the world. And why is it so different for us? And that's because we are on the other side of Christmas. We live in a different culture and in a different time. But this is all part of the story unfolding. And we cannot pretend or ignore or gloss over the things that have happened in God's story. We need to be able to deal with them. We may not like it. We may not be happy with it. We may not be able to understand it but we have to acknowledge that they were there. So we are on the other side of Christmas and we are feeling a little bit better about God's story. And the story continues. There's about a hundred, a thousand years now into the journey after of which God has spoken to Abraham. Abraham has this wide family, this wild nation, they're a wide nation, I mean, and they're in the promised land. 
things are starting to look like it had gone well. As I say, I'm really skimming over all the details here. And they get to the point where David is king, the second king of Israel. And David spends a lot of time making peace treaties with the nations around them. And they can start to see that this promise to Abraham was true. They've kind of got up, they've gone down, it wasn't true, and now they're starting to come up again. That This story, this promise might be true of what God is going to do through his people. Because they can see that they're a nation, they can see that peace is coming. They can see through David's leadership that they are a blessing to the nations around themselves. They are finally at a point where they could impact the whole world. They can see their influence. They can see that their people are listening to them. People can hear of the God of the Israels, Israelites and what he's done for them. People and nations around them are kind of going, wow, there's something about this God. Look what they do. Look how they live. Look how they're different from everyone else. And then Solomon becomes king. And he builds great buildings. He's known as the builder king, the constructor king. An amazing um, temple is built to worship God. And history documents show us that people came from around the, the world, around that particular part of Africa and Asia and Europe to see these buildings that Solomon had been designing and using builders to build. But the problem is, is that Solomon in part of trying to keep peace, went against God. And he married uh, the daughters of leaders of other nations. And within that, he then started to worship their gods, the gods that they were interested in. And slowly and slowly, Solomon starts to lead the people away from God and his promises that he had made to them. And prophets come and say, don't do this. God says, remember who I am and what I've promised to you. And he doesn't listen to them. And he sends prophets that says, you need to be really careful. Because if you don't listen to me, if you don't follow me and believe in this promise that we've got, there is trouble coming. People are going to come and invade you. Your nation is going to be divided. And sure enough, that's what happens. First, the northern territories are taken over. Then the second territories are taken over. And Israel can no longer protect herself. She, can offer, she can't offer security to anybody. They can't even look after themselves and keep them safe and secure. So they're not blessing themselves, so they're not going to bless anybody else. This, this view of this great nation was disappearing quick. So they've been living on the high under David and a bit under Solomon, and it all starts coming, crashing down around them. And in the midst of it, Isaiah comes with yet more prophecies about this promise of God. The, the, the prophets are constantly saying, remember God, remember the promise he gave to Abraham. It's true, it is going to happen. Anybody else impatient here? When, when you've got a promise and you've got a plan and you know it's going to happen, you want it to happen in days, maybe weeks, if you can really stretch your patience. We're talking several thousands of years here. And God is saying, be patient. Be patient. This promise will 
come true. And Isaiah is said to, is told to say to them, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. It's a reminder again of the promise from Abraham, the promise to Abraham. As things are going really badly for them, God sends people to say, hang on in there. Hope is coming. Hang on in there. My promise is not dead. Hang on in there. It is coming. And probably the people were thinking, well, actually, I don't know if I believe in this. I'm sick of keep on hoping. I just feel like all hope has gone across the whole world. And everything in my life, it's not there anymore. And Isaiah says, hold on, hold on. Can you imagine? They're living in captivity. They've lost their military. There's no land anymore. And a prophet comes again and says, remember the promises to Abraham. You can see why people didn't listen to the prophets, can't you? You can see why they were saying, really, again? You want us to believe that again? Because we're all really fickle, aren't we? We can all forget the good times really quickly when we start to see and have to deal with the struggles and the bad times. It's so why we're built that way, I don't know. I wish I had the answer to that. But when we have bad things happening, we can continue in that spiral, can't we? Of woe is me, all these bad things keep happening. But God keeps sending messages, just as he sends people in your life today to remind you that it won't always be like that. You will come through. You will get to see the sunshine again. There is always hope. And in the midst of that, again, he sends another prophet called Malachi, who says, from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great, says the Lord of hosts in lots of different translations. It's the Lord of all the earths. My name will be known across the earth. Malachi, again, the last prophet to remind God's people there is a time when you will see the complete fulfillment of that promise to Abraham. A great nation, you will be a blessing, and all people around the earth will know of the Israel's God and will worship him. They will know who he is. And again, for about 400 years, the people were crying out, really? You want us to believe that now after all the things we've been? You want us to believe that? As we're living in Babylon, as the country's been invaded, as they've been taken away again like slaves, you want us to be believing in that. They're probably shouting at Malachi going, don't you realize that the Israelites' God's name is being mocked. He's not being praised or worshipped or celebrated. They're laughing at us. We're a laughing stock. Don't you see? It's a bit like those times when your children are really struggling with something, but you really want to encourage them, and you go, keep going, don't worry, you'll get over this. It won't be like this forever. But you're still not quite sure if they actually are going to make it, but you want to encourage them anyway. I think it was probably a bit like that. Is it really sticking? Do they really know 
what is really going on in the people's hearts. And at this time, as they were being led off, we saw the Greek Empire starting to take presence. That Alexander the Great was going around and unifying all the different aspects which we understand about Greece today. And so, in some ways, that's quite interesting because then came the Roman occupation. Now, with the Roman occupation came a whole load of other things. Anybody remember that clip? What have the Romans ever done for us? The thing is, where is it? Is it just me? Have you not got a sense of humor today? <laughs> nobody seen the life of Brian, or nobody wants to admit to seeing the life of Brian? Is that what it is? What have the Romans ever done for us? And in that clip, there's people who say, oh, well, they brought us sanitation. And they go, well, yeah, beside that, what have they done for us? Well, they brought us medicine. Well, beside that, what have they done for us? Well, they gave us education. They brought us the roads. And all the time in the films, well, beside that, what have the Romans ever done for us? Well, what I think is so extraordinary about this story, what's so exciting about it, is because with the Roman Empire... There now was peace in the Middle East and in the Mediterranean. There was a transportation network around that part of the world. There were ports where people were trading. People were able to move around. Yes, they were under occupation. Yes, the Romans ruled by fear. But it set the stage. It made it just the right time. People might not have had hope. People might have wondered where was God, but God all the time was getting things ready so that, boom, an angel could appear to Mary. It was all building to this particular point because what the Romans had done has basically done all the groundwork so that the gospel of Jesus and Jesus' birth and his resurrection could be spread quickly. Peace was around so people could travel and the news about Jesus and his ministry 30 years later spread quicker than anybody could ever design. And in Luke, one of the, the books that wrote about one of the people, he was a doctor, he wrote about Jesus and his life. And he says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee. Remember, this is a time when they've got no hope. The Romans are occupying. People lived in fear. And this angel appears to Mary, this virgin, who was engaged to Joseph, who Joseph was in the line of David part of Judah, the, and he came to her and he said, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what a sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus and he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end this looks a lot like the promise to Abraham doesn't it the blessing the great nations 
His name will be known. And again, it's a reminder that God is with them. God might have seemed like he was nowhere to be seen, but in the background, God is always at work. And if you hear nothing else today, please hear that message that God is always at work in your life. Even when you don't see it, even when you don't hear it or feel it, God is at work and he's fighting for you. And he wants you to know that you are part of this most amazing, most remarkable, most unbelievable story that we know as Christmas. Because God had kept his promise. Anybody here heard of the name of Abraham before you walked in here today? Put your hands up. So people had heard the name of Abraham, hadn't they? The promise that God had made. People all around the world, 4,000 years later, have heard of the name of Abraham. Jesus being born there, now in Israel, in that part of the world, in the Middle East, millions of people flock there every year to find out a little bit more about that story. From the Jewish faith became Christianity. They came, Israelites did go to the Gentiles. They have been to the whole world. There is hope, there is light, and there is salvation to anybody who wants it. God's promise has been realized. And as I said at the beginning, the Jewish scriptures have now been put together with what we call the documents of the early church, and we've called it the New Testament, and we now have the Bible. The Bible is the biggest selling book around the world today, so much so, every week it outsells every book that's ever sold, any other book by any other title around the world, that they just got bored of putting it as number one on all best-selling lists but it still remains today the best-selling book, and it's not me who's buying them all, I only buy a few. But, um, so the name and the story of Genesis and Abraham and God's love story, that's how I always refer to it, God's love story for people of how much he wants to bring peace, how much he wants to bring blessing, how much he wants you to know that your name is known by him, that you are significant, that you have a purpose, that you are accepted by him and you are welcomed into his family. That's the love story that plays out today and it's true for you. The Jewish people began and birthed into this world the light of the world, the hope of the world. So God's story is remarkable, isn't it? It's a long story and you've done really well to stay with it this far. It's over 4,000 years old and it all began many years ago. So as we start to think about Christmas and our Phoebe who, who read today, she's six and over the last two to three years she's really got to grips with the Christmas story and uh, we watched um, The Star, a film on Friday night, it's a cartoon, 
excellent. I didn't know what it was, but it's all about the nativity. And it was so lovely to sit and watch it with her because she was saying, and Nana, that's the donkey, and the donkey. And she was telling me, and that's Mary, and that's the wise men, as though I'd never heard the story before. <laughs> but it was just lovely to hear it from her as she's grasping the story. And uh, she's disappointed that she's the donkey at school. She wanted Mary, but she's the donkey. But the donkey's in every scene, Nana, is what she told me. <laughs> but as the story again gets told over and over again, it's amazing, isn't it? It doesn't end. And it won't end until Jesus comes again. And it won't end then. It will just be even more amazing, even more perfect. So I hope you can look afresh at Christmas to know that it didn't just start in 2019 or it didn't just start with the commercialization of it. It started many years ago by a God who loves you, by a God who knows you. So my question at the beginning and the name of our series is, so who needs Christmas. Well, as it happens, God decided the world needed Christmas. It's played out on the world stage with major significant characters, just like David and Moses and Joshua, Jonah, all these names that we're familiar with, that we hear time and time again, have all been part of this most amazing story. And through Jesus, the Jews did become a light to the world and a light to the Gentiles. Through the Israel people, people got to know who their God was and he is worshipped in every continent and in every country around the world today. Salvation has come to all who want it. My last point is when we think God is quiet, he is not. When we think he's still and nothing's really happening, He is not. There is much going on. Why Christmas? Well, the world needed it. You needed it. And I needed it. And our children need it. And our grandchildren need it. And our parents need it. And your sisters and your brothers need the story of Christmas. And as it happens, it wasn't just the world that God thought needed Christmas. God also needed Christmas. Next week we have our nativity by our young people, but the week after we're going to pick up from this point and find out why God needed Christmas. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you that this is not just a new thing. We thank you that as we prepare, that as we get excited as we delve into the Christmas story, as we go through Advent, that it's okay to be excited, it's okay to have fun, because it's part of your most amazing story that is thousands of years old. Thank you, Lord, that the hope that it brings, the promise that it brings, the blessing that we can be to ourselves and to our families, And so, Lord, my prayer today for each one of us here is that we remember that God is faithful. God keeps his promises. God will bless us and that we can then go on to bless other people. And, Lord, through this story, we not only see who you are, 
we get to see the depths of that love that you sent your son Jesus who died on a cross so that death could be overcome. It's not the end. It's a passing through to the next stage and that you will come again and all tears and pain will end. So thank you, Lord, for this great promise and this hope. Amen. Amen.